discussion of independence, free will, liberty, and the left-hand path. This is Damonosophy 2.0 with your host, Paul Frederick. And welcome to episode number two of Damonosophy. I am your host, Paul Frederick, and today we're going to initiate everything with a question. What is Damonosophy? Now, some of you will already be familiar with this term. You may have read my book, Daemonosophy, in which I discuss many of these things. Um, what we want to look at now, though, is the greater sorts of ideas that already exist out there that Daemonosophy has been derived from. So, the word, it has Greek origins, like philosophy or theosophy. Philosophy means a love of wisdom. A theosophy is a uh, wisdom of God or Godhood. And so daemonosophy talks about wisdom of the daemon. So what is the daemon? We go back to the Greeks on this. What did the Greeks think the daemon was? And this is very important to do because the modern conception has been very much denigrated by uh, Judeo-Christian ideas. And the Greek idea was of something very high. And Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, all these guys talked about the daemon. And what it represented is a higher aspect of the mind. Now, in daemonosophy, we really uh, are looking at two senses of the term daemon. So, the first one is, is really more derived from that Greek understanding. In a metaphysical sense, it represents a higher self. It represents ideas about higher consciousness, about higher will or true will, or what Aleister Crowley talked about as uh, Thelema, and also referred to this idea of the holy guardian angel, as being a source for understanding true will. In other words, only through higher consciousness can one really approach this conception of true will. So, in this sense, daemonosophy refers to the pursuit of higher self, of ideas about higher consciousness, and this idea of the holy guardian angel, which encompasses the lima will. And the question of why we're all here, A, and B, what should we do about it? So there's a metaphysical sense in here, but there's also a moral sense. The metaphysical sense is what are we really? What is the nature of reality? And the moral sense is what do we do about it? What is the right thing to do about it? What is the virtuous thing to do about it? And is there a purpose, a higher purpose, which drives or could drive our decision-making about what is the right thing to do? 
So that's all wrapped up in the in the first sense of daemonosophy. And the second sense in which the term daemonosophy is used is in a mythological sense in which it is presented as a sort of higher model for society. In other words, a vision of what mankind could be as a as a society, as a group of people doing things and existing together and trying to produce things of value together. And what that society would look like if all those people were in touch with their daemon. So this latter sense, the 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 strong historical contribution to it comes from uh, the era that we refer to as the Enlightenment, which runs 18th century, roughly 1715 to 1789. And some significant people who have influenced thought in that realm are John Milton, uh, Benjamin Franklin, a lot of people will have heard of. Uh, Voltaire is another very popular figure. The Enlightenment is where ideas about a free society emerge, where ideas about democratic society such as was born in America uh, all derive from the Enlightenment. And the Enlightenment was to a large extent inspired by the Greeks, again, who had this idea of the daemon, a higher aspect of self-consciousness around which so many of their ideas were formed. Ideas like democracy based upon individuals. And so you have to take a moment and reflect on the fact that the whole idea of there being an individual that anyone has an individual existence and that you have a certain right to be free and independent in your individual existence. This was totally a new idea in the Enlightenment and for the thousands and thousands and thousands of years of human civilization before that, there was just, there was not even an idea of individuality, uh, maybe only in a very pr- crude or, or, or primitive manner. But, I mean, go back and look at outside of the ruling class, outside of the kings and the pharaohs, and outside of the legends and stories about heroes. So people like Hercules, they, they got to be individuals. But for the common, ordinary man, there was only obedience, collectivism, salvation uh, through an authoritarian system. And when they did talk about it, what sort of terminology did they use? That's right, the daemon. So as we go back, we see that this term, the daemon, is one of the early attempts or early means by which people referred to individuality or tried to express how huge individuality, how high of a concept it is. 
Now, we could go back even further. We can go back to uh, Zarathustra and the Zoroastrians who conceived that every individual has a soul, individual soul, which they call the Fravashi, which exists before we come into this world and exists after we exit this world. So it's actually a very old ancient idea that we are individuals, that we are metaphysically individuals and that we have a moral purpose for being individuals. It is a very old ancient idea that there was a great attempt to erase it. And that you can trace to the birth of monotheism, not to the ideas that you know, this prophet Jesus might have said that's documented to some extent in the Gospels, but what that organization became later on, regardless of what Jesus ever said, what that organization became, whose sole purpose is to organize people, put them in their proper place, make sure the wrong people aren't having sex with the right people or doing this or doing that and controlling the minutiae of people's lives. The birth of monotheism, the concept of individualism, free will, and freedom was something that had to be crushed out. And they almost succeeded. And somehow things changed, probably due to the existence or to the invention of the Gutenberg Press and, and the proliferation of literacy amongst a significant portion of the population. In other words, exchange of knowledge brought humanity back to a place and it was reborn very heavily and very clearly in America and much of Europe and it went on pretty well until, oh, I don't know, lots of control over the economic economic situation and over education. And things were revived again through the declarations made by these founding fathers of the left-hand path in the 60s. And we started to have another chance. And this is where we are today. The fire is still burning we need to grasp it. We need to grasp it and hold it with vigor and fury, lest it be arrested from us. Uh, but between those poles of ancient Greek civilization up to the Enlightenment, which however many 2,000 or so years that is, no conception of it whatsoever. So it's worth it to just sit and ponder that for a moment and how amazing it is that we are born into this time period where we have so much great potential around us. And so the interesting thing about the Enlightenment is one of the great, great works of the Enlightenment was by John Milton, who wrote a book called Paradise Lost. And this book uh, sort of is a retelling of the uh, the ancient and and biblical story of the Lucifer and the demons of hell rebelling uh, against God and the angels and leaving 
going forth to uh, create a new uh, a new place to dwell, a new place that they called Pandemonium. And so, interestingly, this sort of idea, this sort of these sort of mythological notions, were very appealing to uh, a lot of the thinkers during the Enlightenment, um, and uh, the people who. Uh, you know, helped uh, put together the Constitution and, and get America rolling. We're all influenced by, by these sorts of ideas. And as well, people in the 60s in San Francisco were also influenced by these ideas. And if you're familiar with Anton LaVey and the Satanic Bible and the other sorts of influences that he referred to, then you're already going to be familiar with John Milton and the Enlightenment and a lot of these other things. So another person who is very influenced by this from that time period would be uh, Dr. Michael Aquino, who, during his days as a member of the Church of Satan, uh, wrote a book called The Diabolicon, which is a retelling, in one sense, of the pattern, the Luciferian pattern that's presented in the uh, John Milton book, Paradise Lost. However, Dr. Aquino in the Diabolicon adds somewhat more of a left-hand path, an overtly left-hand path perspective to things. And also starts making reference to other items which would become of greater interest as these left-hand path movements evolve, such as the Black Flame, the idea that there's a central energy source that inspires uh, consciousness, freedom, liberty, all these other things that we're interested in. So these are two of the primary lines of thought that go into the concept of daemonosophy. And these are also discussed in uh, my book by the same name, Daemonosophy. There's uh, another book out there called The Black Ship by a friend of mine named Edward Pandemonium, which also explores these ideas and especially that that spiritual, higher self, holy guardian, angel sort of aspect of the daemon. So the other question is, why do a podcast about any of this stuff right now? There's lots of podcasts out there these days about um, black magic and there's some uh, Satanism and the occult. There's podcasts out there about liberty and freedom. So why do a podcast about this particular niche right now? Well, I'll tell you, my friends, the reason is because the time is dire. So everything that I mentioned previously about Greek civilization to the Enlightenment going way back, if anything else, consider for a moment that the timing of all of this coming together right now is very, very significant, and it's needed more than ever. Because our culture is losing its grasp on the significance of ideas like 
individuality, free will, and liberty. Anton LaVey made a, a uh, statement about this at one point, talking about there how never in the history of man has there been so much of so little. And it's the sense of responsibility that is supposed to be part and parcel to one's unique existence is something that for some reason is dissipating. But I will also say that the society that we live in, the authoritarian aspects of society, which are the people that decide which schools we're going to go to and what our education curriculum are going to be, they're not really helping to reinforce ideas like true individuality and free will. Whenever they talk about individuality, they also throw in all these conflicting ideas about equality and everyone's a winner and and, and stuff like that. So that's one reason we're going to do a podcast about this now, because the time is dire. And because capitalism, which is the only economic system that allows for freedom of all people is becoming a dirty word. And because collectivism is becoming a good word, altruism is becoming a good word. The idea that self-sacrifice is virtuous, even for people who think they are on the left-hand path. Now, so far, I have not presented anything that was not presented by our founding fathers of the left-hand path. If you go back and read through the literature of uh, the Satanic Bible or the Diabolicon, you will not find anything that contradicts what I have just said. And in fact, the metaphysical and moral philosophy from that time period is all very clear about the significance of individuality, free will, and liberty, that this is more significant than any value you could attribute to forced collectivism or forced altruism, and that there was never any need for there to be a year one or the declaration of an age of Satan or the proclamation of an aeon of Set. There was never any need for any of this stuff if we were here to preach the value of collectivism, altruism, and self-sacrifice because we already have thousands of monotheists, millions of monotheists, and derivative monotheistic religions telling us that and force-feeding us that and trying to make us feel guilty for not sacrificing enough for our fellow man or those less fortunate than us. This entire left-hand path was born out of a rejection of all of that. And now we have a new wave of Satanism and the left-hand path that's growing in the world right now that's garnering lots of mainstream attention 
by promoting ideas like equality, egalitarianism, self-sacrifice, help for your fellow man. I mean, I don't know where they get this stuff from. Um, it's like they read the manual for, um, you know, for Alcoholics Anonymous or whatever local Christian group, YMCA, and said, let's just, uh, let's just take these moral ideas, these moralisms, and let's just put a Baphomet on it and, and present that as Satanism. And then we can be famous for like having invented a new religion. And let's just pretend like the last 50 years of civilization, of the left-hand path being born in the 60s in America. Let's just pretend like that never happened. Let's just make up something new. So in addition to just the regular, the, the mainstream movements of collectivism and, and altruism, which are represented by uh, Judeo-Christianity and now the uh, bizarre threat of uh, I- I- Islamism, in addition to that, is being incorporated by aspects that, that call themselves left-hand path or satanic. And so that, in, in my opinion, is not helping anything. And that is why, now more than ever, it is time for those of us who do embrace the true left-hand path, the left-hand path of individualism, free will, and liberty, to stand up and to send forth these ideas and to stand by these ideas with great urgency. It was really easy for the true lords of the left-hand path to say the left-hand path comes down to rational self-interest and personal responsibility. But the new Satanists come out and say, well, it's about compassion, equality, and atheism. That's the formula for socialism, not the left-hand path. Not a radical new religious vision of man elevated to nobility, to spiritual nobility by his own will and his own vision and his individual perspective of reality. That's the radical new idea. Collectivism, egalitarianism, that's not a new idea. Socialism is not a new idea because it's just a modern reiteration of authoritarianism. The same kings and pharaohs that used to run the show and call all the shots. The new idea was individualism. The new idea was the concept of the daemon, that we have a higher, we are endowed with a higher faculty for perception that can lead us into a personal psychocentric divinity. That is the radical new idea. And that's what's under fire. So, back in the 80s, there was this thing called the satanic panic. And I can't help but think that that might have had an influence 
on how things are going today. So what happened during this time period was there was like lots of uh, conspiracies and whatnot, and there's lots of negative things in the media about Satanism and the left-hand path. And there was people like uh, Ricky Casso and Sean Sellers and Richard Ramirez, the Night Stalker, and people who did bad things and hurt people and then uh, used the name of Satan to try and uh, pawn it off, uh, pawn off their, their inexcusable actions on, on uh, someone else. And the only person who stood up against any of this during that time period was was Dr. Michael Aquino with the Temple of Set. Anton LaVey was was uh, not in the limelight at this time, and Dr. Aquino went on Oprah Winfrey, and he went on Geraldo Rivera on exposing Geraldo's exposing Satan's underground. Special, which was the most watched television documentary of all time, and I believe 1988. And he stood up for this movement. Uh, he didn't make a big deal about Temple of Set versus Church of Satan. He stood up for this movement, even though he's surrounded by crowds of like screaming, angry mad Christians who just wanted to burn him at the stake and certainly would have had they been able to. But he stood up for things. But there was such a backlash that a lot of people in the movement from that time period went underground. And now we find ourselves decades later and it's a different environment. So, a little while back, I mentioned the word capitalism. And that might have left some of you scratching your heads a little bit. You may have not heard that word used in concert with LHP ideas before. So, first you need to understand that this idea arose and came to fruition in the same time period as the other ideas that we've been talking about here, that being the Enlightenment. And it's important to understand this as well as capitalism's connections with ideas like individuality and freedom. And that's that capitalism is the only economic system ever positive that allows for freedom for everybody. Every other economic system is based on limiting freedom for someone. In the past, it was ethnic groups or conquered tribes that become slaves, and today it's certain social classes that get targeted. Either way, Someone's freedom has to be limited. And so all other systems really have to be understood as derivatives of socialism and expressions of collectivism and authoritarianism because there has to be someone at the top making decisions about who is going to have their freedom limited and to what extent. So when politicians come out and they say someone's got to pay their fair share, well, there has to be a group of experts up there at the top who are going to decide what the fair share is. And of course, that changes all the time and uh, the people in power can change it whenever they want. 
So capitalism and the Enlightenment attempted to sweep all this nonsense away. They said everyone is free, pure and simple. That doesn't guarantee everyone is successful. So wealth to the strong, as Anton LaVey once said. This is further reflected in Milton's Paradise Lost, where the daemons rebel and then secede in order to avoid oppression by a centralized authoritarian system in a place called heaven. And in the Diabolicon, they're very explicit about this. After passing through the gates of hell, following the great war with heaven, they discover a new place called Pandemonium, a place of all daemons where freedom reigns supreme. From the statement of Archdaemon Satan, he states, Through the gates of hell we passed, and many of us had supposed hell to be a new heaven, wherein Lucifer would become as God. But this was not to be, for the scene before us promised neither ease nor bliss. Everywhere was there imbalance and confusion, for no law ordered the shape of hell. And Lucifer said, Lo, see that I am not a god, and that we are each of us an isolate being. Here shall freedom be absolute, for hell itself shall reflect our several wills, never to be patterned apart from them. And in truth, hell was not constant, for each of us conceived it differently. And the result was a riotous pandemonium, with substance and motion behaving in a most bewildering and perplexing manner. So he's clearly talking about a society free of central authority, where unlimited free wills work in harmony together to bring order, happiness, and prosperity to the universe. There's also great significance when he talks about substance and motion. And that's something we might get more into in a, in a future episode. But then uh, much later in the story, after man's been gifted with the black flame of individuality and self-consciousness, the demons at one point are forced to debate whether they should intercede with man. And again, in the statement of Arch Damon Satan, after seeing how the forces of heaven seek to control and indoctrinate man, Satan says, Many there were among us who felt anger at this ruthless mutilation of our gift, and Beelzebub brought to question whether we also should not descend among man and contest this usurpation of his will. But I said, were we to lead man in this venture, we ourselves would declare his failure, and he would believe our gift to be weak indeed. Messiah must see that free will is beyond the concern of God, and that man will finally win his own destiny apart from all dictated schemes. Only through summary destruction of earth might man be halted. And for a Messiah to attempt this would lay bare the very futility of the final design of God. Heaven may dismay man with peril and affliction, 
but we shall send him word of our own interest that he shall know he is not alone. So this all gets back to some core demonosophical ideas that after having gifted man with the black flame, the demons are basically staying out of it because what would be the point of gifting someone with free will and then coming back and telling them they can't do this or can't do that with it. The black flame, or what Setians sometimes call the gift of Set, is at once a promise of ultimate individual freedom and at the same time a moral imperative that you respect the freedom of others. Now, of course, you can respect the non-aggression principle and still defend yourself against others who would violate it. As Anton LaVey said, if a man smite you on one cheek, smash him on the other. But nowhere in any of this is a justification for a group of elites to be given absolute authority to take our money, violate our privacy, put us in cages if we don't mind their laws. Another great lord of the left-hand path, Aleister Crowley, famously said, do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. He didn't say... Do what thou wilt within certain limitations. Be sure you give Big Brother a cut. He said, Do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law, because do what thou wilt shall be the whole of the law. The other thing in that passage that always makes my heart swell is the notion that we shall send him word of our own interests that he shall know he is not alone. Often people will come back and reject these ideas, the ideas of individuality, saying, well, no one's alone. No no man is an island. And it has to be pointed out, there is nothing in any of this that asserts that people shouldn't cooperate with each other or work together or exchange with each other. Now, the fabric of society is based on that. The whole key for an economic system like capitalism working is based on people exchanging with each other, working together and communicating. All we're saying is that there doesn't need to be an authoritarian imperative upon it. All we're saying within the left-hand path is that everyone is free to express their will to work there well and to respect each other. And to me, all of that cuts to the essence of what demonosophy is. It's a vision of a higher state of consciousness for the individual and it's a vision of a higher state of interaction for conscious individuals. And that about wraps up this second episode of Daemonosophy 2.0. We'll be doing more in the future covering these and other topics. I hope to have some special guests on and some very unique individuals out there that I'd like to help introduce to you all. So until next time, Remanifest Super Substantial. Thank you for listening to Daemonosophy 2.0, a production of the Esoteric Order of Beelzebub. For more information, please visit www.ibeelzebub.com. And until next time, keep the black fire burning.